When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Here's the staff to Riley's. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's throwing. Go to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown Eskimos. One-timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. We're back after the All-Star Weekend in the National Hockey League. Oh, and how could I forget about Pro Bowl Weekend in the NFL? Oh, and for all you wrestling fans out there, I will give it a mention. The Royal Rumble. Congratulations to Hulk Hogan tossing Earthquake over the top rope to win it. Also eliminating the ultimate warrior, Jake the Snake, Randy Macho Man Savage, Mr. Perfect. It was an incredible Royal Rumble. I was watching it on VHS last night. It's 6.07. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Oh, my goodness, we are going to have some fun this evening. Jack Michaels is slated to join us as the Oilers got back to work this afternoon. We'll update you on Devin Dubnik in the Minnesota Wild with Mike Greenley. He's their TV analyst, a guy who was very briefly in his career in Edmonton Oilers. I believe as a goaltender, he played in two games in the NHL. Now, we also are hoping to be joined tonight. It's a little tentative right now, but in half an hour um, by uh, Dave Wanstead, who used to coach the Chicago Bears and the Miami Dolphins, and he won the Super Bowl as the defensive quarter with the Dallas defensive coordinator with the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm just being straight up here because it is a tentative booking if uh, if Dave is able to fit us into his busy schedule. But it, but I hope we're able to uh, to bring you that tonight. So the Oilers got back to work this afternoon. Uh, two o'clock practice, obviously much later than usual. Getting back from the All Star break, Connor McDavid did not skate. Connor McDavid did not skate, uh, obviously, as he was uh, still uh, getting back in the swing of things from the All-Star weekend. He did pretty good. I mean, fastest skater. The controversy about the fastest skater competition. Dylan Larkin got the running start when he set the record. McDavid did not. I guess it's the skating start, not the running start. Uh, the kid was fast. I mean, in that head-to-head heat with Nathan McKinnon, we got Warren, uh, Warren Mulvey on the other side of the window. Uh, Warren, I don't know if you saw any of the uh, skills competition stuff there, but he blew away McKinnon in the head-to-head race. Did you oh, see yeah, that? Oh, yeah, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And then, uh, I mean, this, this was no surprise that he won fastest skater. And uh, what, Crosby won the accuracy shooting? Yep. 
Uh, McDavid was uh, was in the mix, not quite there, but all good, all good stuff. So uh, Lander, Anton Lander, just filled in for McDavid on that line. Of course, you can always text us at six thirty six thirty. Our open line number is seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. If you uh, ever want to give me a call, really for any reason, though I'd prefer to keep it sports oriented. So Todd McClellan said talking about getting back to work today and what kind of practice he wanted. The first thing we have to do is get our engines running again. And um, we plan practice based on that. There's not a lot of standing around. There's not a lot of thinking. We want to keep the heart rate up. Uh, we actually want to tire them out a little bit so they, they remember what it feels like to play. This break wasn't that long. Um, you know, so we did some battle drills, we did game situation drills, and we actually tried to to set a drill up so that it was shift length, um, getting them back to, to understanding what it was going to be like to play 40 or 45 seconds and, and having them defend when they're tired. Um, you know, is it right or wrong? I don't know. There's never a, a right way or a wrong way to do it. And then a little bit of special teams, and that was it. So uh, not a lot of practice time. The rest was valuable. Uh, we'll see where it takes us. All right, so head coach Todd McClellan, and yeah, a longer than normal practice today. They went for a little over an hour, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, like he was saying, tempo-type stuff, a lot of skating, just getting into the uh, back into the swing, the swing of things. The game against the Wild tomorrow, don't forget, is on 6.30, Chad, with the face-off show at 5.30, and the game will start at 7. Then the Oilers play road games Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and then it's this new addition to the NHL schedule, the bye week, where every team gets five days without a game. So next Monday through Friday, the Oilers will not play. They will not play. So I know that'll be a little tougher for you all to get through your work week without an Oilers game to look forward to. So what the rule is... They, if they play on the first day back from the bye, they can practice on the afternoon of the fifth day. So they will likely have a practice in the afternoon on February 10th and then get back at it on the 11th. Anyway, that's just a new little twist to the schedule this year. I interviewed Oilers defenseman Chris Russell today. I'll get uh, get to that. More comments from Todd McClellan. But we have uh, Seinfeld on the phone. Jared, what's going on? Good. Not much, Reed. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Now, did I get those Royal Rumble facts right, or was I off a little bit? Uh, that's a long time ago. I remember I used to watch that Saturday Night's Main event when I was a lot younger, and that was uh, probably the biggest deal because it wasn't always on. You didn't know when it was going to come on. Sometimes it was Saturday Night Live. That's and right. One thirty in the morning. We, we and, must. And, and guys would just wait with we their must. tongues hanging out to see if they had those intros with, Honky Tonk Man and Macho Man Randy Savage and it was like it was something else. Did you hear the guy after, oh I can't remember which game it was, if it was the San Jose game or the Anaheim game, he called in to Rob and I and he did his entire phone call as uh, Randy Macho Man Savage? Oh no I didn't hear that, that would have been pretty good because I think you know there's that Macho Man um, his greatest matches and I think it was his first match he was fighting at um, Madison Square Garden and he had maybe four or five of the audience members ready to jump out at him and they were throwing things at him and it was a quite he was actually supposed to be a Major League Baseball player but he decided to go into wrestling well, well obviously most of them are well they're all pretty good athletes right and yeah. you're right a lot of them started which, which is the guy that is actually an Olympic wrestler um, is that uh, Kurt Angle yeah, I mean, honestly, after 
that era there from the 80s and 90s, I didn't follow it that much after, but in that, in that, uh, when I was younger, like in the 80s and with Andre and, and, uh, and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Honky Tonk, it was, uh, it was it was quite amazing. Actually, I saw Honky Tonk at a Boston Pizza maybe two three years ago. He's still wrestling. He was in Edmonton at a Boston Pizza. Yeah, because there was a guy Klondike Mike is um, was a manager of the Boston Pizza in Mill Woods, the former Stampede wrestler. Okay, and I knew the uh, I knew his his uh, his girlfriend, and she says, "Why don't you come out?" And I saw him there and. He's pretty overweight and everything, but he's still wrestling. Oh, that's awesome. Though Those guys keep grinding away. Anyway, I'm distracting you from the purpose of your yeah. phone call. Sorry. Um, you know, I, I don't uh, I don't follow, like, a lot of, the, the um, like, the contracts and things like that, but I started to look up a little bit on the weekend. And, you know, the more I think of it with uh, Leon Dreisaitl's contract expiring here soon and then Connor McDavid's, is the Oilers really only have about two years before they're going to have to pay some big money to some of these players and so then it comes to think is like how much is that window for them really to win because you know Connor McDavid he's going to get 10 11 million I can't see him getting any less and he makes what 900,000 right now well that's the that's the base uh entry-level contract he'll make more than that because he'll meet some of the bonus requirements but the base is 925. okay so if he has 925 if he gets his bonus it goes up to three point something yeah but does that is that included in the cap hit yeah but they roll it towards next season right okay so but regardless is even like with a guy like pat maroon if he continues on what he's doing he's going to command quite a bit of money considering of what milan lucic makes so you start to think, does with this trade deadline, if the others continue playing the way they are, do they add like some significant pieces to make a push? Because of the fact that all of a sudden, all those kind of like how Chicago lost, you know, like Patrick Sharp and Brandon Saad and, and uh, Johnny Oduya, and all of a sudden you start to become very watered down. And the others in two years, could find themselves in that situation as well. So do you think they should go for the throat a little bit in the next couple of years, or do you think they should just play it? Well, I, cool? I think they will go for the throat, but I, I think they'll probably be a more significant move in the summer. I, I mean, I think he'll try to add a maroon-type player, a depth winger, probably at the deadline, whether it's somebody like Doan or Verbata or Ginla. But, yeah. I mean, we got to be realistic here, and, and I know because of where the team has been, there's a, there's a lot of people hoping, or, or there are a lot of people for, that have a strong connection to Everly and Nugent Hopkins, but those yeah. could be the guys if salary is shed. And you got to remember, Everly has two years left after this one, so maybe mm-hmm. someone is willing to take that on for for two years, right? Because it, who, I mean, who do, who do the Hawks, who have the Hawks kept? They've kept Kane, Taves, Hosa, Seabrook, Keith, and I think one other player have won all three cups. Is it Jalmerson that's been there the whole time? I I don't know if he was there for the. Might he might have been, been there for there the first, for the first one. one. But you know, like guys like Dustin Buffin, they had all those guys. Yeah. So I mean, the Oilers are obviously building around uh, McDavid and Drysital. Secker and Lucic have no trade clauses. Larson and Clefbaum are still they're at four point one six million. That's not bad. So they're keeping those guys, and you, and you'd think Darnell Nurse is going to be here long term. So there's the there's the six to eight guys that are comparable to those six or seven guys on the Hawks. Well, and Talbot, right? Yeah, but I think Brandon Davidson is still the guy 
that is likely expendable, like the injuries are concerned. And there, and there is, like, he had some really good games last year. But I think, I mean, they have a lot of defensemen, young defensemen now. And if they're going to move somebody, he would seem like he's the, the logical guy. In, in my opinion, I would rather keep Darnell Nurse over him. But oh, for sure. Yeah. Their defense has, uh, is, you know, there's no real superstars. But as a group, they're, they're very solid, right? And they're all kind of playing for each other. And even in that game against the San Jose, when Kajula scored the, the goal on the breakaway, and he came back to the bench, and he sat beside Connor McDavid, and Connor McDavid was legitimately like very happy for him. Yes, and they're all playing for each other. It wasn't a look of cynicism where, oh, you got the you know the game winning yeah, goal or, or, whatever. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that the team they're playing for the, each other more than for themselves. And I think that's kind of the bond you need. And, and they look really good right now. There's no doubt about it. They're one of the, the best teams in the NHL. And if they can kind of like, we bend but we don't break, and one guy picks it up for the other guy, I mean, they have a, they have a chance to, to win a round or two. But I think so much of it has to do with maybe they have trouble against San Jose and the luck of the draw. Because if they, let's say, play a team like St. Louis, they can beat St. Louis. But if they played a different team in the first round, they may not, but if someone knocks out the team they have trouble with, all of a sudden there's a path that can clear itself for a fairly long run, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And you know what, I asked Todd McClellan a little bit about the work ethic and uh, and the bonding today, so I'm going to get to that clip in a bit. Jared, good to hear from you, buddy. Okay, take it easy, Reed. bye-bye. All right, Elvis is our next caller, but we got to go into the break. It's 619, it's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, so the Oilers in Minnesota tomorrow will give you a wild perspective at about 7.30 with Mike Greenlay. He's their television analyst. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. A little bit of Eskimos news today. They have extended pending free agent defensive back Brandon Thompson, so he'll remain an Eskimo through 2018. He was signed as a free agent in August, played for Ottawa before that, and I thought really helped a uh, beleaguered secondary when he joined the team. As I know Elvis will be impressed, I just used beleaguered in a sentence. Elvis, thanks for calling. How you doing, Reed? Good to hear from you tonight. Yeah, what's seems going like on? We, seems like we haven't played hockey forever, and it's, I'm going through withdrawals not watching the Oilers. <laughs> you know, I saw that on I saw a couple people saying that on Twitter. They were saying, "Man, the All Star break was only th- four days between games, and then they're going to have five games uh, next week." Yeah, people can't wait for the next game now. It's nice. Well, it's it's such a different such a different like. I mean, just when you're talking the Oilers in, in Edmonton now, it's just. It's such a different conversation compared to the last 10 years. And, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I was listening to you and your previous caller, and you guys really brought back some memories. I, rem- I remember sitting there knowing that it's not even real wrestling and screaming for the ultimate warrior to kick some butt. You know, like, <laughs> that's great. That's just the kids in us, you know. And, and, but back to the Oilers, like, like um, you know, I, I like the comparison to the Chicago mo- model. Chicago has found a way to win consistently, even though they've had to let go of some really good prospects, or not prospects, really good players, contracts, because of, uh, you know, what was going on. And I like your comments about Everly. Like, I, I, I can ser- seriously see uh, some people not being protected uh, uh, in this upcoming expansion draft. 
and seeing if there there might be some takers in there. Well, they'll protect uh, they'll protect Everly and Nugent. They they won't give away a, a a top six or even top eight forward for for nothing, right? I think they'll they'll protect those guys. Like, yeah, I was talking more like Pouliot. And, oh, Pouliot uh, will be available. Yeah, Pouliot will be be available. Yeah. Well, what's what's he like? Four and change a he's, year. He's four exactly, and he has two years left after this one. And he has. I don't think he even has 12 points, does he? Uh, I think he still has exactly 10, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they'll do some adjusting and different things. And, I mean, we've got some, we've got some young contracts coming up, some young guys that are that are very, very exciting, like Kajula and, and uh, never mind Jujar Kara and different people coming through the system. And, I mean, it's, 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 it boils down to, to me, it boils down to managing. And that's where people got to remember – we have got so much better with, with 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 a shrewd businessman and general manager in Shirelli. He's really, really putting the pieces together. And if you want to sit there and criticize him for a couple of moves, go ahead. But you better give him a pat on the back for Talbot and all the other deals that he's made. Yeah. You know? Well, and it takes a long time to evaluate some of them. And, and I mean, Rob and I have said a couple of times last, so say in November of 2015, uh, you know, people didn't want Secker and Talbot on the team, and I don't think anybody would say that now, right? So, that's oh. how it goes sometimes. Well, it is for sure, and I mean, like, if, I'll just end on this note: if, if 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 you if you look at the position that, like, waltzing into the state of California and taking four points away from two very very hungry teams and good teams, uh, that's amazing. That's truly amazing. Elvis, have a great night, Reed. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, Elvis. Thanks a lot. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. All right, so I'll just set up this clip. I'll save the Chris Russell interview for later in the show because I don't know if it would fit time wise here either. But I, I got talking to Russell about um, Cam Talbot a little bit, who obviously is having the praise heaped on him this season, and deservedly so. And Russell really praised his work ethic and kind of the trust they have in him. And I'm hearing that a lot in the Oilers dressing room this season. Now they're now they're winning, so there's going to be more positive stuff. And you know, teammates will usually be positive about other guys, but I sense it's a lot more genuine, and that there's a lot more to it this season. So when when the coach had his media availability, I, I said, you know, Todd, you got guys praising each other. You have guys talking about work ethic and trust. And I said, Todd, you've coached a lot of different teams in a lot of different leagues, so you've probably seen a lot of different relationships between the players, but what does it mean to you to hear that? Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a good point and a good answer by whoever answered that question because when a group of individuals, whether it's the Oilers or a junior team or whoever it might be, when they decide to, uh, to take the team over themselves, they don't wait for coaches, they don't wait for uh, managers, um, they have their own boundaries, their own guidelines, they evaluate each other and they play for each other, you have a way better chance of winning. So if the work ethic and the commitment level is recognized from teammate to teammate, usually they're doing a pretty good job because you'll never hear a player saying, hey, you know what, so-and-so is not working hard enough, uh, but they'll recognize when they are. And that's usually a, a well-policed thing in the locker room. I'm glad that they're talking like that. Well, and, and I think and we often talk about, oh, if a team starts flat or the motivation, and, and, I, and I'm not saying the coaching staff doesn't have some responsibility in that, but everybody in that dressing room is, is an adult, all the players. You know, some are 
more experienced than others. But, you know, I do think there has to be that accountability from one guy to the next. You have to look at the guy in the stall next to you or your linemate on the bench and say or think to yourself, I got this guy's back, or I'm not going to be the guy that is the one that screws up. Or if I do, then we're going to talk about it or we're going to address it in practice because I don't want it to happen again. And it's one of those intangible things that's hard to measure and it can sound kind of sappy, but I think that's an element uh, on any successful team. I think it's an element among others that the Oilers have lacked, and I think it's one they're starting to build. And I found that uh, very positive, and you'll hear some stuff from Chris Russell coming up as well. All right, we're counting down to the 6.30 news and weather break. We're hoping to be joined by uh, former NFL head coach, former Super Bowl champion Dave Wanstead. We're going to try to connect with Dave here in the next couple of minutes. Jack Michaels. Maybe he'll tell another Ostertrate story. Will join us tonight as well. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Yeah, Everly, a four-point game on that Oilers road trip. That was uh, last Saturday when he helped them beat the Calgary Flames. They went on to beat San Jose and Anaheim. The Oilers looking good. 7-0-1 in their last eight. Second time this season they have had an eight-game stretch where they've been able to record seven wins. Remember, they started the season 7-1. and one. Home to Minnesota tomorrow. That'll be a good matchup. They've played Minnesota twice earlier in the season. They have a shootout loss and an overtime loss to their record so far. Thanks a lot for joining us. It's 6.34. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, we're counting down to the big game. It's Super Bowl week, and who better to help us tee that up and tell some stories than a man who won the Super Bowl and coached in the National Football League. I'm pleased to welcome to Inside Sports Dave Wanstead. Dave, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I am doing good, Reed. Yes, it uh, actually. Uh, I'm heading down there to uh, Houston tomorrow, and uh, yeah, everything. I both teams are in now, so the festivities start. Well, it's great to have you on the show. So thanks a lot for for connecting with us. Uh, just uh, just maybe tell fans here who who remember you uh, patrolling the sidelines in in the NFL and the NCAA. What are, what are you up to these days, Dave? Well, I'm, I'm actually with Fox Sports. I do, uh, I'm do. i a studio guy in L.A. for all college football, any college game that's on Fox, FS1 or Big Fox. Uh, I do all the you know, pregame halftime stuff. And then I do an NFL pregame show uh, on Sunday mornings, you know, before Jimmy and Bradshaw and those guys kick off. Fox expanded their pregame to two hours. So I'm doing, uh, you know, college. And then I've actually, I, I stay... In Chicago during the football season, and do some do some Big Ten stuff. Uh, Fox next year is is picking up the majority of the Big Ten as far as college football games. So they're they're expanding, and, and I do some Bear stuff. Chicago Bears, which is right there in Chicago, I coached there for six years, so I got some some good connections there. So it's it's interesting, you know. Now that I'm not coaching. Now I'm an expert. When I was coaching, you're an idiot. You know, you got no idea what you're doing. It's amazing how things change overnight. Well, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. What's the transition been like from someone who used to have their every move analyzed to now you're the one doing the analyzing? Yeah, it's it's interesting to. Uh, uh, I I don't know if I would if if I was you know I, I coached for 40 straight years before before taking a break and stepping aside. But if I was still coaching, 
I don't know if I could do this job uh, as, as thorough as you need to do, you know, because you see things out there, <clears throat> and obviously you're not trying to throw anybody under the bus, as we say, but they, but, you know, Fox obviously wants you to make some honest and, and, you know, comments as far as what you're seeing and, and good, bad, or indifferent. So it's, uh, it's, it's a little easier making those comments now, and, you know, now that you're not coaching and trying to get back into it, uh, a year from now. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, because the Patriots are going again. So much is made of the Belichick-Brady relationship. Uh, I mean, when you look at is is Belichick the one of the is he the best coach in the in the league still? I mean, clearly his his record is going to be remembered at, as the best of all time. How do you look at Belichick and what has made him so successful for coming up on twenty years almost? Well, I think the fir- first word that jumps in my mind is consistency. You know, the guy is so consistent. Uh, with how they do things, and he hasn't wavered. And, and, and getting Tom Brady, obviously, has made a difference. You know, it's a, uh, a funny story. I got to know Bill, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was the defensive coordinator of the Giants with Bill Parcells, I was the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. So that was a big rival for us, rivalry game for us in the, in the conference. And uh, so we got to know each other and, uh, and, and became friends. And then I was at the Dolphins, and he was at the Patriots. And Tom Brady, it was his first road game he ever played was against us in Miami. And we, we beat him pretty handedly. And I can remember walking off the field and my defensive coordinator saying, what would you think of that young kid, Brady? And I said, oh, he just kind of looked like a guy to me. Well, I think that's the last time we ever beat him. You know, I mean, it's uh, the guy is just phenomenal. And it's, uh, yeah, as, as the expression says, it's a, it's a match made in heaven. And they get, get the most out of it consistently. Yeah, well, another another trip. You know what? I'm curious from your perspective, Dave, because as you know, we have a uh, we have the Eskimos here in the CFL in town, and I get to talk to some of their players and coaches, and they won the championship in 2015. Uh, now we don't have uh, the extra week between our division championships and the final game, the Grey Cup, like the NFL does between the Super Bowl. What are these two weeks like for? Coaches, because you've been on the, you know, I mean, you were with the Cowboys the year they won their their the, the first Super Bowl over the Bills. What's the two week gap like for the the coaches in terms of keeping guys sharp, preparing but not over preparing, if that's a relevant word? What what are the coaches going through right now? Right. Well, the first the first week is obviously you're you're in your your own practice facility, your own meeting rooms. And that's when you really get the work done. And and everybody says, hey, you know, when we get down there to the site, wherever the Super Bowl's at this year, it's in Houston, Texas, you know, we've got to have the majority of the work done. But that that's true. I mean, it's uh, because as, as much as as you want to say, hey, we're going to be focused down there, it's, it is really not the players and the coaches. You know, I mean, I, I always felt like when you go to the Super Bowl, it's, it's the families and the wives and the kids and the uncles and the high school buddies. You know, it's it's a possibly a once in a lifetime experience, and everybody wants to be part of it. And from a player or coach's perspective, you're trying to be cordial and you're trying to make everybody feel part of it. It's very difficult not to get distracted. To me, that's the biggest obstacle that Atlanta has in this Super Bowl. Is it you know it's their first time going, and New England has been there. They've done it. They they know how hard to practice. They know how long they're going to meet. Where Atlanta, 
it's a little bit of trial and error till as they work through this first one and and that's uh that that can be very difficult and 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 I think it, you know, I think it's a disadvantage a little bit when you're playing a team like the Patriots. Well, that's a that's a good point because that experience can be so valuable. Dave Wanstead joining us on Inside Sports. You know, you won the Super Bowl, and I and I double checked my Roman numerals, Dave. I believe it was Super Bowl twenty seven, uh, which when you were the right. defensive coordinator for Dallas, and and I think you were part of the squad with Jimmy Johnson that went one in fifteen in nineteen eighty nine. From your position on that team, how do you go from one in fifteen? To four years later, being thirteen and three, and then and then winning the winning all your playoff games. I mean, what what led to that dramatic shift from over a four year span? Well, you know, I mentioned with Bill Belichick consistency, and I, and I think that was probably the one thing. You know, you got to have players. At the end of the day, players win games. I mean, you got to do a, put them in position from a coach's standpoint. But without players, you got no chance. And we were very fortunate that we had. The players that we drafted, and you know, it can be a little bit of a crapshoot as far as the draft. You know, players working at, but but we were we were the youngest football team in the NFL when we won that first Super Bowl, and the players like Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman and Michael in Russell Maryland on defense and Kenny Norton, they were relatively very young football players, and so there was a little bit of naiveness. I mean, from the standpoint of. We were just in coaches. I mean, we were only four years out of college, and none of us had coached in the NFL before. We were all college coaches. And so we were just coaching, you know, the next game up, you know, whatever the let's get a game plan together. And we, the word Super Bowl was never talked about. And pretty soon we're there knocking on the door. But, but that first year, you know, we, we were working out a lot of players, we were signing guys, we were cutting players. We were trying, you know, when I remember the first meeting I went into as a defensive coordinator, there were, I believe, six or seven players that were older than I was on the defense. Emerson Walls, Ed Tutal Jones, you know, Randy White was still on the team. And, and these were guys that were great players for the Cowboys when Tom Landry was there. So we went through that transition and the one thing that we did it was was we were very consistent. We knew what we wanted to do on offense and defense and special teams, and we just kind of stayed the course, and then we stayed healthy, and the players that we drafted came through, and uh, the rest is history. You know, there's that's a that's a team that is remembered as as one of the greatest in the history of the NFL because, and, and I know you were you went on to become a head coach after the first Super Bowl, but they won three and four, and and you were there through their through their rise. Um, there's also a lot written about some of the personalities on that team and some of the other stuff that went on. Jeff Perlman wrote the book "Boys Will Be Boys." What what do you just remember about some of the players? And uh, you know, were there were there personalities that sometimes had to be kept in check, or just what, what was it? What was it like dealing with a team that had all that fame coming to them in in a in such a hot football market? Uh, yeah, you know, it's. Uh... We had a lot of high draft picks, but they were they were all young players, as I mentioned. And I remember after training camp, and, and Jimmy Johnson, I mean, he was phenomenal at, at the personnel end of it and piecing players together for a team. And I remember after the training camp, we were at and we were having a beer, and we were talking, and we were just start looking at our defense, and 
and we were saying, hey, what's missing? And I said, you know what? We just don't. We got some good pass rushers, Jim Jeffco, Tony, but we don't have the dominant pass rusher that the Giants had in Lawrence Taylor and, and on and on. Well, a week later, we make the trade, Jimmy does, for Charles Haley from the San Francisco uh, 49ers. And we signed Charles, I remember, we signed him like on a Tuesday, and we opened up the season against the Redskins that weekend, and he played in the game. And he played about 10 or 15 snaps and as a pass rusher, and then obviously we worked him into the lineup more and more as the season went on. So, you know, it was uh, it, it was kind of, you know, and, and it's funny because everybody talks about, you know, great offensive lines. When you look at our offensive line of the Cowboys, we had Nate Newton, who was a he played in the World League. Mark Tuane, our tackle, was a defensive guy that was moved over to offense. Mark Stebnowski was a was was a rookie, a draft pick, but he was undersized guy. So, you know, it was kind of a Jimmy just did a great job of of putting the you know personnel together and making it all work. Dave Wanstead joining us on Inside Sports. Dave, just a couple more for you here. It's great, it's great having you on the show. Um, you, I mean, you moved on to become a head coach with uh, with Chicago and uh, with Miami, and I know you coached at the University of Pittsburgh, and you were a coordinator again a couple of times. I'm going to ask you a tough one, but I, I often ask this to ex-players, so I'm going to ask it to an ex-coach. If, if you want, you can limit it to your time as, as a head coach. Who was the best player you ever coached, and who was the best player you ever coached against? I would say the best player I ever coached, it would be on defense, Jerome Brown at the University of Miami. Really? Jerome was dra- yeah, Jerome was was the most dominant defensive lineman. And we had Russell Maryland, we had Cortez Kennedy, I had Jason Taylor. I mean, a lot of great defensive linemen. He he was the most dominant player. And on offense, it would probably be LaShawn McCoy, you know, who I recruited to come to Pittsburgh when I was there, and he played for me at Pitt. Uh, they, they would be the two players. Um... The most dominant player I coached against, it might be Reggie White. When we were at the Bears, Reggie White was playing for the Packers. And, you know, he, you know they moved him around. They put him at tackle. They put him at end. They put him at nose guard, depending on the defense. And wherever he was at, you, you really couldn't block him with one guy. It took two, sometimes three guys to block Reggie White. Well, that's it. And it's interesting you didn't say a quarterback. I was wondering if you were going to say a quarterback. No, you, you know what? Uh, you know, it's funny. Someone asked me on the show about a month ago if I had to pick a quarterback, who would it be? And I said, you know what? Um, Joe Montana's from the same hometown I am, so I'm a little partial to Joe. But I said I would probably take Brett Favre. But I'll tell you what, after last week's game, what Tom Brady did to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I was all on the Steelers. That was my team. Tom Brady might be the the best quarterback that I've ever played against and and had a chance to coach against and see. I mean, the guy's just phenomenal. All right, I got to ask you a little one uh, that's a little bit self indulgent for the Edmonton market, but you would have uh, coached against uh, this guy a few times. What are your uh, memories of uh, of Warren Moon? He's still a hugely popular athlete uh, here in Edmonton from when he helped yeah. the Eskimos win several great cups. Absolutely. You know what, Warren Moon? It's it's funny when when he was at Houston. We were at the Cowboys, and we would go down. Jack Pardee was head coach, and we would get on to, uh, oh, they had training camp 
in Texas. Where I'm trying to think south of Dallas, uh, what was the name of the town? Long story short, we would get down and we would practice against Houston uh, in training camp. And then, and then Warren was at the Minnesota Vikings for a few years when I was at the Bears. So, yeah, a great player, obviously, and uh, uh, great competitor. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought he did a great job in, in a couple of different types of offenses. But when they were rolling down there at Houston, they were, uh, they were as explosive an offense as, as there was in the NFL. You really didn't try to defend them between the 30s. We used to say, hey, they're going to move the ball so fast. Let's just work on our red zone and our goal line defense to try to make them kick field goals. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. All right. I, last one. Uh, with the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, I know you're headed, heading to the game. You mentioned that the experience could be a factor. Uh, give listeners here, Dave, uh, a, a key matchup or two that we should be watching on Sunday, whether it's a unit against a unit or an individual against an individual. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one. You know, the the best receiver – one of the best receivers in the NFL is Julio Jones, the wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. Big, fast, strong, can do it all. And it's going to watch the matchup because a kid named Butler, who is the best corner for New England, it's going to be interesting to see if Belichick puts Butler to cover Julio Jones or does he treat him like Darrell Rivas, who played for me at Pitt, Darrell, when he played for Bill Belichick, Belichick, when they had a great receiver like Julio Jones, they never put Revis on the best receiver. Belichick would put him on the second receiver, and then he would double cover the best receiver. Oh. So everybody going into this game is saying, oh, the matchup of Butler versus Julio Jones, how's that going to work out? Well, it may not be. It's going to be interesting to see, does he put him on him or does he put him on the other side and then come up with a scheme to take him out of the game? So that's that. That's one matchup that I think will be real interesting. And then the other thing, too, is what does Belichick do against Matt Ryan? You know, he's they're the, most, they're the best number one offense in the NFL. Does he rush three and defend or does he rush four, five, and six? and try to pressure Matt Ryan. So those two things, I think, will be real interesting to see how the, how the game unfolds. Okay, i got to ask, since you're a former defensive coordinator, what would you do? <laughs> I, w- I would defend. We always, I always had a philosophy. You pressure the bad ones, and you cover and defend against the good ones. And Matt Ryan is the MVP in the NFL this year. I would defend against him and uh, get as many guys back there covering change up my coverage schemes i'd rush three i'd rush four and i'd change up who was rushing and who was dropping all right well this is great because now i can i can watch for that that's cool dave thanks for being so generous with your time uh, enjoy the the super bowl week and i hope someday maybe we can c- connect again i really enjoyed talking with you okay sounds good Reed. thank you bye-bye that is dave wanstead checking in tonight with fox sports former nfl head coach and uh, defensive coordinator with the Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys, Super Bowl 27, when they crushed the Buffalo Bills 52-17. That was a great interview. Good to hear from him. Some kind words about Warren Moon. And uh, definitely interesting how he would defend 
that dangerous Atlanta offense. We'll see if the hoodie agrees with him. we got to take a timeout at 6.52. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chet. All right. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet. Little Andrew WK. Good song, eh? Warren Mulvey on the other side of the window. Warren, how's life, old boy? Pretty good so far. How are you? I'm doing uh, doing great. Good to have Dave Wanstead on the show. That was a great not, interview. Not often you get to have a Super Bowl champion on. Could nope. I mean, one of those guys you'd like to sit down and talk to for like two hours. Yeah, but, it sure uh, sounded he, like it. He gave us 20 minutes, so so uh, so that so that was cool. You know, and he had. Uh, I mean, obviously, I asked him a lot of Cowboys questions because. That was an interesting era for that team. They they fired Tom Landry. Jimmy Johnson came in, brought in his own coaching staff. Wanstead was one of them. And they went from, well, like I said, in their first year, they were 1-15. Then they were 7-9. and nine. Then they made the playoffs at 11-5. and five. Then they're 13-3, and three, and they win the Super Bowl. Now, then Dave left to go coach Chicago. They won two more Super Bowls in the next three years. And, I mean, Wanstead had some pretty good teams. Well, sort of some mediocre teams in Chicago. Did make the playoffs once. He, he went to Miami in 2000. He had two 11-5 seasons. And I loved how he put that, though. Right? He goes, now that I'm not a coach, I'm an expert. But when I was coaching, everybody thought I was an idiot. <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting what happened to him in Miami. He goes eleven and five, eleven and five, nine and seven, ten and six. Not bad. Then in the year he resigned, he was one and eight. <laughs> so I mean, he would have been considered doing a good job until halfway through the next season, it wasn't going so well. But uh, that was cool. So, and I loved how he explained the matchups to watch. How much will the Patriots rush? Matt Ryan, and how are they going to cover Julio Jones? You're going to put best cornerback on him, go one on one, or are you going to double him and put the best cornerback uh, on another receiver? Anyway, that was good stuff with Dave. Hey, I want to wish all the best to Edmonton's Jen Kish. We've had her on the show several times, Olympic medalist in rugby sevens last year. She has uh, recovered from that neck injury and is joined uh, going to join the Canadian women's team for the Rugby Women's 7 Series event coming up in Sydney, Australia. It'll be the first time she's going to play since the Olympics without Jen. Can uh, Canada finish sixth in their first event of the season? All right, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Jack Michaels going to join us when we get back. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.